This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading this morning is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. It's found on page 61 of your Pew Bible in the New Testament. Luke 10, beginning with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words that you gave to those whom you called and sent. You have called your church, and you have sent us. So we pray that we would hear your word to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There were four ladies from a retirement village. They went leaf-looking one Sunday afternoon in New England. The passengers remained tight-lipped when Mabel ran through a red light. They gasped collectively when she ran through a second light. Only when she ran through a third red light did one speak up. Tapping her on the shoulder, the friend said, Mabel, honey, do you realize that you've run through three red lights? Oh, my, said Mabel. Am I driving? Mabel was looking, but she didn't realize that looking, but she didn't realize that she was in the driver's seat. The mission of a driver is to arrive safely at one's destination, and Mabel was about to miss her mission. 
As a Christian, do you know the mission of your life? If you are unsure, let's compare it with those who knew their mission, riders on the Pony Express. In the 19th century, American West, the Pony Express emerged as a mail-carrying service, delivering messages, newspapers, and mail. By using a relay of able-bodied riders riding fast horses, it became the most direct means of east-west communication and reduced the time for a message to travel from the Atlantic coast to the Pacific to roughly 10 days. It operated year-round. Every rider knew his mission. The Pony Express was wildly successful. Then suddenly, it stopped. What happened? We will look at Jesus' mission, his method, and message and we'll revisit the Pony Express and see what's happened to both. Let's look at the first. Jesus has a mission. He was sent by God as the one and only. John 3:16 and 17. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order... God sent one into the world to fulfill what was promised to the one Abram and the one people of Israel, Jesus representing himself as the true Israel sent by God. Jesus now sends 12, his disciples. A disciple, as we've looked at earlier, is a disciplined learner. Any of us who want to learn a skill, will apprentice ourselves to someone. If you want to be a golfer, you can't just chip away at the game. You must be a disciplined learner. So, likewise, an apostle is a disciple who is sent. We have that word in Greek, apostolos, one. So in our text, we hear that there are 70 who are sent. In the chapter before, Luke 9, Jesus sends his 12 disciples on a mission. Now he's sending 70 on a mission. What we see as we look forward in Acts chapter 1 is that there are 120 men and women who receive the Holy Spirit and are sent into the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming the good news. You'll notice that the multiplication is taking place. 1, 12, 70, 120. By Acts 2, there are 300 disciples, Acts 4, there are 5,000. 100 disciples, Acts 4, there are 5,000. We all are sent. Therefore, what Jesus says to the 70 is applicable to all believers. What does he say to us? 
verse 3. He says, go. Not mosey along, leaf looking, but go as an imperative. See, I am sending you out. You are in the driver's seat. We are sent out on mission. But you may say, however, I personally am not an exceptional believer. Neither, my friend, were the 70. No, neither were the 12 disciples. The gospel deliberately accepts followers of Jesus as being those who misunderstand, who sometimes mess up, who don't get the message always right, but they go. It's the message that we carry, not the messengers that are exceptional. And we don't go alone. It says, Jesus sent out the 70 to every town and place where he is about to come. Think about it. Think about your place of work or think about where you live or think about those spheres of influence that you touch. Wherever you are sent, Jesus is going to. And he sends in pairs, that is, in a community that provides companionship, mutual testimony, and prayerful protection. Why? Why does Jesus send us on mission. Verse 2, because the harvest is plentiful. Now, many of you have gone apple picking in this season in New England. But what would happen if none of us went out into the orchards? The apples would go bad. The harvest window is short. It does present a sense of urgency. God is on mission and he sends us into the harvest. Do you see it? In the United States, one writer finds that between 120 and 150 million people live completely secular lives. 120 to 150 million have no reference to God whatsoever. Imagine, a hundred and twenty to a hundred and fifty million with no relationship to God, no relationship to a church. Only four countries in the world have a larger population of unbelievers than the United States. China, India, Indonesia, and Russia. We live in the Northeast. Our region is one of the most unchurched areas in the country. How will these millions hear the good news unless someone is sent alongside them at work, at school, at the senior center, in the marketplace? The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Pony Express. Each rider knew his mission. The whole thing was fabulously successful, but suddenly it stopped. Do you know why? On October the 24th, 1861, the Transcontinental Telegraph began to operate. 
It was a coded language of dots and dashes. It replaced the need for humans on horses. In a similar way, the mission of ordinary Christians was replaced. In 324 AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine declared that his entire empire was Christian. The mission of every believer was replaced by the institutional church. The good news was replaced by a coded language of penance and session and church seasons. Historians have often wondered how the first generation of Christians spread the gospel so rapidly. It was accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That was the secret. Every Christian considered it his or her obligation to bear witness. Do you see it as your obligation today? There are not enough laborers in the harvest. In the United States, there are 360,000 churches. 85% are stagnant or declining. The churches that are growing are growing primarily through the circulation of the saints, that is, people leaving one church in favor of another. We have forgotten leaving one church in favor of another. We've forgotten our mission. Like Mabel, we forgot that we are in the driver's seat. To be on mission, Jesus gives us his method and his message. It does sound rather terse, short, brusque when we first read it, much like an army sergeant giving directions to his recruit learning to skydive. The sergeant says, we'll reach 10,000 feet, I'll open the door, jump, count to 50, pull your parachute cord. If it fails to open, pull your emergency parachute cord. The truck will be waiting for you on the ground. So they reached 10,000 feet. The sergeant opened the airplane door. The young man jumped, counted to 50, pulled his parachute cord. Nothing happened. He pulled his emergency parachute cord. He pulled his emergency parachute cord. Nothing happened. He yelled back to his sergeant, With my luck, the truck won't be waiting for me either. What is this method and this message that Jesus instructs us in? Let's look more closely. The method. It will look like Jesus. Gentle trusting, peaceful, and content. Jesus is gentle, and so must we be. Like lambs, verse 3, go, see, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. This world is full of wolves, people who use raw power to devour the weak. God, not a wolf. And we are to live and speak as gently as lambs, safe for others to be around. This means that we are to risk our lives in ministry to people. And we may 
be persecuted. The second thing that is like Jesus' method is that he trusted in God. He was dependent on God, and so must we be. Verse 4, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. As people on mission, we are to travel light, not burdened by carrying everything with us that we're going to need for the future. We are to be dependent on God. This is not easy to do, especially if we are raised, if we are raised in New England. In New England, we are self-reliant. The disciples learned to depend on God, and so can we. Luke 22:35. Jesus asks, When I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, No, not a thing. They learned to be trusting and dependent. The third thing we see is that Jesus is peaceful, and so we must be. Peace was more than a nice word in that first century. Zealots had a watchword. It was revolution. Jesus instructs his followers to have a watchword of peace, word of peace, full of peace. God's peace. I was speaking one time with a woman in another church. Her family members were hostile to her, distancing, shaming of her. She was a woman of peace, and it left her in great distress to have her family turn against her in this way. We looked at this passage and saw Jesus say that the peace of God could return to her. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, My peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Our peace that God gives us will return to us regardless of people's response to us. We are not to live in anger or despair, but his peace. Fourthly, Jesus was content, and so must we be. Verse 7, remain in the same house. Do not move about from house to house. In other words, don't always be looking for something better for yourself. Stay on mission. Verse 7, eat what they provide. Eat what is set before you. I heard of a pastor invited to a poor family's home for a Sunday meal. And what was placed before him was the woman's pride and joy, a Spam casserole made with, imagine, pink Spam, orange Velveeta cheese, and green lima beans. One look, he might want to go to the next house. But staying on mission, he stayed and enjoyed with thankfulness what was placed. The method of our mission will be like Jesus, gentle trusting, peaceful, and content. And finally, what is this message that Jesus sends us with? Verse 9 and 11. It's good news. 
The good news of the kingdom of God, which has come near. It's so amazing. If you are like me, you turn on your phone in the morning and scroll through the news, and what do you read? The headlines are bad news. Things are not the way they are supposed to be. We're accustomed to hearing bad news. But it should not be that way. When we are sent on mission by Jesus, there is a good word. There is something earth-shatteringly that's breaking through, that's come through, that breaks through this world. Bad news with something good. It's the kingdom of God. It's where God's will is done. We've learned that in Jesus, it's become spatially near. In Jesus, the will of God is done. You remember in C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, the kingdom of Narnia exists side by side the world as we know it. You enter this Narnia through the back of a wardrobe located in the upper floor of the professor's home. The kingdom of God exists side by side this one. We enter it through a person, Jesus Christ. It's available, present to everyone who is willing to receive it. And the message is the same whether or not someone receives it or rejects it. It is not something that we're responsible for. We are not to call down fire upon anyone who rejects us or Jesus. Jesus prohibited his disciples from thinking in this way. Just walk on. Just symbolically shake the dust off your shoes. Our mission is to share good news. That's the message. Everyone will stand accountable to God for their own response. In conclusion, we are in the driver's seat on mission. And we are to be carrying the method and the message of Jesus. Are you? Are you on mission? Perhaps it's forgotten who you are. We read from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know your name? God's own? Chosen? Beloved? Sent? Do you know who you are? It changes your life. In the nation of India, the Dalits are the untouchables. They're required by Hindu law to be given one name, and it must be derogatory. Ugly. Dung, stupid. Imagine the, trans the transformation when they discover that in Jesus, God came as a Dalit, that he has the power to rename them chosen, royal, holy, beloved. Have you received your name? 
Have you, as God's person, received your name as chosen and sent? Then go. Go with Jesus, who goes with you. Live in the method that he lived. And share the message. Where you go, Jesus is coming. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you give us yourself and that you do call a new name, that we are chosen and beloved, royal and sent. And so we pray that our lives might look more and more like they're conformed to your likeness and that we may have a good word and a good message to share with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.